Hello and welcome to Coffee and Comics. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. And we have a special guest with us today. We have uh, someone we have mentioned several times on the show, a friend of ours. We all used to work together, oh my God, a long time ago. And <laughs> uh, this is uh, Drew Huddleston. Sorry, Drew, I already fucked up your name. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Drew Kibblesmith? What was his name? No, um, yeah, Drew Huddleston. Uh, Drew, you suggested this book to us. Uh, I've been suggesting it to everyone. (laughs) We have all, and and, and a special break in this episode where we have all read the same book. This is uh, Mm -hmm. The Vision, the complete series by Tom King. Um, And I'm sorry, who is the artist? The artist, I put it at the bottom, is uh, Gabriel Hernandez-Walta. Yeah, All right. published, published by Marvel as well. You sh- I guess we should mention too, Drew is, is uh, calling in live from London today where he's based. True. So it is uh, not morning time there. Uh, no. Typically the part where we, we talk about coffee. Are you are you drinking anything right now, Drew? Is it, uh, is it pine? I am. Pine? All right. I am. I am. I am drinking a, uh, an English uh, breakfast tea. What? Uh, Yes. Caffeine in the evenings? Yes. yes, in the evenings. Oh, I can drink it before bed, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have been in England for a long time, so that is, uh, <laughs> your your blood has changed. Your DNA is now fully English. I would be yeah. sad if you weren't drinking tea, honestly. Uh, yeah, me too. It had to be a, it had to be a pint or tea. <laughs> I'd have to shout out bad form, Peter. Yeah, I mean, as... As you both probably know, I've never been much of a coffee person, but uh, I have been converted to a tea drinker in my time in the UK. Um, now, do you do you take it with milk? A little bit of honey? I do. Okay. I, do. I take it with milk. Um, I used to be a two, if not three, sugar person, but I recently have completely abstained from sugar, and I'm just mm. black tea with a, or an English breakfast tea with a, a bit of milk. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Taylor, what about yourself? Well, Todd, I am, I'm also eschewing the coffee portion of coffee and comics by drinking tea Gosh. myself. <laughs> I, oh, yes. We're, we're two for, and this yes. is only because after last week's uh, episode, if you were listening, you'll know I was in Portland and right after we recorded, I went down to the, uh, Chinese gardens in Portland, which are awesome. If you're ever in Portland, it's, it's totally worth the 10 bucks to go in, but they actually have a tea house on the premises that's you know all authentic and cool and interesting and so i had my little white tea there and was so so taken by it that i bought a uh, little canister brought it back and now i'm drinking the pe- white peony tea from uh from the tea house in portland wow that right now yeah i can't believe i'm the only <laughs> coffee drinker <laughs> after last week when i had tea <laughs> yeah um <laughs> i went out at, so after that episode i went out to uh phil's coffee and uh got some silken splendor <laughs> the names of the things you pick it's just I, we need to start logging these names because they're so god they're so good the silken splendor i i haven't quite got the chemistry uh correct for it yet it's it's um it's a medium roast but it's very uh, uh cocoa so um i think i did a pretty good job this morning with the with the milk ratio um but it smells unbelievable like i just opened the bag and inhale but um yeah, haven't haven't really made the perfect cup yet. Um, so 
Uh, generally, the premise of Coffee and Comics is that Taylor and I each pick a coffee and we each pick a comic. We don't know what the others picked and we talk about it. But as mentioned, we have all chosen to read The Vision, which Drew had been suggesting to us for a long time. And Taylor and I found it. Uh, it's it's shameful to admit this, that we didn't run out and buy it full price when Drew recommended it. But Amazon had a flash sale on all these uh, Marvel titles. So we each grabbed it digitally for 99 cents. Um, I think it's only wow. like five fifty now um, on and comicology be, and stuff. Let's 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 clarify too. We bought the like massive, super awesome director's yeah. cut for ninety nine cents, which contains two hundred extra pages of interviews and concept art and all these things. To where now I feel even extra extra guilty having read it and realized that I got all this for ninety nine cents. I'm probably going to go out and buy the physical copy uh, as soon as possible to to make up for that. So yeah. Drew. Drew, you mentioned that you, that you were hooked into this from uh, issue number one. Does that mean you had picked up each single issue? Yeah, back in November of 2015, I managed to pick up issue one after reading a really good review. And I picked it up as single issues every month religiously after reading that first issue. Um, but... I did, uh, in preparation for having this chat with you guys, I wanted to reread it. So I actually bought the director's cut on Comixology and reread it this week and dug through some of the extra stuff as well just to see what that was because I'd never read that. Uh, you know, I'd, always, I'd read it, it was like a spa- spaced out over the course of a yeah. year, uh, issue by issue, but um, wanted to make sure that I refresh my memory and saw what else there was to say about it. And I found that really interesting as well. Yeah. That's, writing single issues that, yeah, we, um, we should definitely dig more into that. I, I will say at the outset here, we're going to do a spoiler free conversation about it and then we'll close it up and we will announce that we're going into spoilers because we definitely want, if you have not read this book, we want you to go read it <laughs> and then you can come back and listen to our spoiler discussion, but we will, not spoil for the first half of this episode. So, um, yeah, I mean, Taylor, did you want to say anything about why else we picked this as a, as a review this week? Um, well, it, it, we were talking about doing the same book for a while. And I think given that this was available to us and we both got it, it was a great choice, but it also dovetails really nicely into the movie that everybody wants to see next week, which is Avengers Infinity War. And it's just a good little, um, you know, we were going to do this one and we're going to do Infinity Gauntlet uh, closer to the movie itself. I actually, I think this is a more appropriate book um, to, to tee up Infinity War. And you're going to think I'm crazy for saying that, but it gives you a dimension of the vision. And honestly, while I was reading this entire thing, all I could, all I heard in my head was Paul Bettany's voice. Um, <laughs> like as, you know, as Vision's voice. And I'm just like, I want to see Desperately, I want to see this, like a little indie film based on this with Paul Bettany starring in it, because it would just be so perfect. So, like, <laughs> while I'm gonna, well, while I'm going to see, the, while I'm watching the movie next week, all I'm going to be thinking of is like this happening in a little pocket universe of the of the MCU. Um, it's just, you know, it just it gives a, it gives another dimension to that character that's sorely needed. I kept imagining uh, Jennifer Conley as the Vision's wife. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny because I was I was trying to think who I would cast, and it kind of rotated between a few people, but never was it Jennifer Conley. And now, Oh my God, I kind of want to, well, they are, you know, they are a real couple, uh, but she is the voice of Spider-Man's AI in home. That's right. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) I did not know that. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) So, um, okay. So drew, you were hooked in from issue number one. 
Uh, Taylor, where did you feel like you got hooked in? Uh, well, considering that I bought the whole thing in one giant package, sure. I, was, I mean, I mean, when were you like pulled into the story? Oh, great question. I would say probably page one or two. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, when, cause right away there's this sort of omnipresent narrator that, that kind of builds you into the story and immediately starts referring to things that will happen in the future. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, and it doesn't, you know, right out of the gate, it it, it sort of references something kind of horrific and you're like, Oh my God. What? All right. And then just, and, and Drew may have more thoughts on this too, but like there, right off the bat, there was kind of this eerie sort of Stepford Wives kind of tone to it that just sort of, it was almost too normal too everything was just a little too sterile, you know, the, the idyllic uh, suburban household. And just that kind of, that hooked me in too, because that juxtaposed with sort of these ominous kind of messages it was like, okay, something, clearly something's going to go awry here. Now I gotta, I gotta, I gotta think about it. Yeah, we should set that up a little bit. Um, uh, what is the situation as as we open up issue number one? Um, basically, it, it it's a you know, like I said, just a regular run of the mill suburban street. It's kind of you know, different shots, different angles of the street. You see a a mailbox, a green mailbox, sort of levitating over the the sidewalk. Camera pans in further and further. It's telling you about this you know, this normal household and the vision and kind of it's, it tees up all the things that are going to happen. Tees you up why, and why he's moved here. It's uh in that's, it, I think it's a DC suburb, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Washington DC yeah. suburb. Yeah, the um, suburb and it shows these two people, these neighbors bringing cookies to the vision's house and the door opens and there he is standing, you know, you know shirt, white shirt, tucked in tie, tie clip, his family all around him. And they, they visit these uh, neighbors and then it's kind of like you're into this world through these neighbors. And then once you're in, you're attached to the family from that point on, but it just sort of, it just kind of sets you up in this normal run of the mill day of the life. Uh, I think they had been moved in for a little while, the family, the visions, you know, they keep referring to them. It's, and it's the, the vision himself, his wife, uh, is it his wife, Virginia? I'm sorry. What's the wife's name? Yes. Yeah. Virginia. Virginia yeah. And then the kids, Viv and Vig, if I'm not mistaken. Vin. Vin. I'm sorry. Vin and uh, Vig. Viv, Viv and Vig? Viv and Vin. Viv and Vin. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Drew, would you, I, I mean, Drew, I, I feel like we need to uh, nail this in. Uh, this is not a human wife and children. With no, <laughs> no. They are all synthetic. Vision is definitely trying to uh, experience the human uh, aspect of life that is having a family and you know he it delves into some of his history and the past and uh, some of the things that you know I never even really knew about vision like the fact that he had a wife before and um, he's now trying to experience life as a family man and life in the suburbs and uh, yeah he made himself a family and i I didn't realize this at the time, but um, the family that is introduced in this book, it was entirely created for this book. Uh, I, you know, I, I walked into this having no background whatsoever about the vision or where he was in, in relation to the Avengers and was this even in the main continuity. But yeah, it's uh, the vision trying to have a family and he had made himself a wife and he made himself two kids and wanted to be a human and be normal and there's so much of the the theme of trying to be normal throughout the course of this story Uh, and it becomes quite um, a plot point that kind of feeds into other plot points where he's trying to be normal and wants to be normal and what does that mean 
both for him and for anyone, the reader, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but yeah, definitely not, not human family. And there's, so Taylor had mentioned the nosy neighbors and also <clears throat> how the narrator sort of uh, tells you what is going to happen at the end of the, of the story, you know, um, those neighbors, as soon as they're introduced, well, after their initial sort of introduction, so it's no spoiler. The narrator tells you they're going to die in a fire in their house yeah. that, that one of the visions started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like that, that might've been the, the right there was where I was, you know, put on alert of like, yeah, what? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, from, from page five, you're like, wow, this is not going to be the same there. This is going to go dark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the, the way that the first issue ends, um, there is a, uh, there is sort of, there's a, an attack you don't see coming and then there's a death and, mm-hmm. And I think that that was really where I would have to say after that was when, when I was, I, I mean, I don't I, I was hooked for sure, but um, it, it was probably in that second issue where another thing happens. And I, you know, um, that was when I, I was all in kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, yeah, sort of like I read that first issue going like, I don't know, you know, if I care about the vision and his family and, um, but it quickly, this turns into something like you know, ex machina or, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. It's just about it, the it, AI gone wrong. Yeah. It's, it's also not your average superhero story, you know, like so many superhero stories that I've ever read in the past have been about how the hero, our protagonist is trying to overcome some terrible you know, evil or, and, and that's probably not even a well-defined evil that has a great yeah. motivation. It's just, I'm going to do something terrible. And they're trying to stop that, you know, save the world, save the people. That's not what this, that's not where the drama in this story comes from at all. Uh, it, it's, it's very much uh, challenging the norms in a, for what is a superhero character, but like so much of that is not at all relevant. It's the drama comes from, wow, he's trying, he and his family are trying to have this life. And uh, the normal, uh, I say normal, <laughs> the, <laughs> the kind of drama that kids have and trying to fit in in school, but, oh, you're slightly different. And that leads to some drama. And then someone else has some deep-seated um, hatred toward you being different and they're going to lash out. And that kind of like leads into the, the big event in, fir- in the first issue that kind of really will hook you. If you haven't been hooked by the end of that issue, you definitely are hooked by the end of issue one, in my opinion. Um, and, and, and yeah, it's just completely unexpected for, for most superhero kind of stories. And it's, it's not what you expect. Like, every now and again, the, the vision is on the job being a superhero, but it's almost like a, a one page in the whole issue is, mm-hmm. Oh, there he is doing the day job. But most of the time it's him at home in the suburbs or his family at home in the suburbs, trying to adapt to life and uh, what life means and normalcy. And um, yeah, it's just some really dark, dark stuff kind of happens in, in what would otherwise be a, a a superhero story. 
we had we had kind of talked about this offline, but it's worth mentioning now, kind of given what you just mentioned, what you just said. I, I feel personally, this is a book you put on your shelf next to Watchmen, next to The Dark Knight Returns, and next to Omega Men, um, three DC books that, uh, as Todd and I have talked before, subvert and deconstruct the superhero genre. Like this, this feels right at home with those books. If you're, you know, if you're interested in seeing kind of what, how you can use the superhero lens to tell these really interesting stories, I think it, it goes there. And it's also, and this is where my ignorance really shines through. This also kind of feels like one of the first, if not the first time Marvel has really done this. I mean, am I, is, is, can anybody think of any other example? Cause it seems like DC is chocked full of them. You don't really, Marvel hasn't really been known to do this kind of, of a book with their, wow. I guess, flagship characters. Well, uh, I've never seen that. I might put something like old man Logan in there mm. um, where they, 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 they often do that, but it's nothing that gets this. Um, well, I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't say nothing, but there's definitely something that stands out about vision in the canon of books. You mentioned like dark Knight returns and Watchmen, where it really analyzes what this, like what it means to be this hero, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like what are superheroes, at all like it's it's more of an existential question i guess yeah Um, yeah well it's one too where i i remember when it came out i remember like io9 and obviously drew you too like every every, everybody who's in the know was like this is the greatest book of 2016 and i could never i just would look at some of the art and go "Hmm, i'll get to it at some point but it never really i guess no one ever really truly like set it up in the way that like once i finished i was like oh clearly that was a correct assumption or right. a rather assessment like it once you finish it you're like well i see now what all the fuss is about and i just i don't know why at the time i just didn't quite trust that i mean maybe because it was marvel doing this kind of work that my brain just went really is that are they really are they really pushing it that far like if it was a dc title like i said there's there's a track record there and i could go oh yeah of course let me look in. and for some reason i had this weird prejudice in my mind that like marvel could really pull this kind of thing off but you're right old man logan's kind of another one um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe this is a good, maybe th- the success of this well, will, will allow them to do more stuff like it. I, I wonder as well if it's, if part of that isn't because it was the vision. Right. And like right. So, so many people, um, you just kind of think of him as almost a, a throwaway character and yeah. um, reading the, the letters pages through um, the various issues, uh, especially kind of some of the earlier issues, you get that sense of people just, you know, it's the vision like, all right, yeah, he's an adventure, but so what? Like there wasn't a lot of depth. At least that's the kind of the feeling I had about him as an individual uh, superhero is just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. He's a thing. And yeah, I kind of know where he came from, but so what? So you don't really expect. And that's that's part of what is just so brilliant about this uh, story for me is that it was so unexpected you know, I yeah. started reading it despite what was great reviews and uh, talking about how much of a thriller it was and how it really went dark. And, you know, that was kind of like, all right, well, I'll try one issue. And But it, it just really is just totally unexpected. And I could completely understand why people would be like, yeah, all right. It's, yeah, the vision, fine. It's, yeah, some random Marvel superhero, uh, someone recommending a story, but yeah, I mean, I, I completely get it. And that's part of why it just completely took me by surprise. Um, well, so if it came out in 2015, was that 2015 was, was that the year of Ultron? Was it 2016 or 2015? Um, oh. 
I think it's 2015 because I think that's when we started this podcast, which was started mostly to talk. Oh, you're about. right. Yeah, no, you're right. There <laughs> um, was and so I would think that sort of like the wide public had only just seen vision, you know, yeah. in a movie. And mm-hmm. for the first issue of this, I mean, I remember that first, uh, that first cover and I don't know if it's on the cover or if it's within, but the, the, uh, it was the four visions phasing through the front door of the house. So it was sort of the mm-hmm. suburban door with the, these four synthesoid, you know, <laughs> uh, red pinkish, uh, robots coming through the, through the door. And, Rockwell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, yeah. it sort of put me off because I thought, um, Oh, that, you know, they're just, they're trying to build up the vision now that he's been in a movie. And, you know, I just didn't, I didn't think this is going to be, uh, and an arc of this character that I didn't anticipate. I sort of saw it as like a cynical money grab of like the, the general public just heard a vision. So we're going to put out a new title. with him. Um, that, that may have been part of the, um, the original brief, if I'm <laughs> honest to, uh, to, to Tom King uh, reading some of what he had to say about how he came to it. It, uh, it sounds like they originally approached him and said, Hey, we want you to do a story. It's going to be sci-fi, not in space, and it's about the vision. <laughs> and he had to kind of take that and turn it into something, and this is where he went. But um, it's interesting it, It's interesting that they used a, a character at that point. Like you said, Todd, we weren't that familiar with it. I, I'm going to try not to do this anymore throughout this episode, but like referencing The Watchmen, if you remember why... <laughs> No, but hear me out. Hear me out. The reason why Watchmen worked so well in my mind, one of the reasons was that they took the original idea was they were going to take the Charlton characters that DC had just acquired and do the story with them. So the brief then was take these Charlton characters that, you know, nobody's given a crap about for however many years and make something interesting. And Alan Moore and and, uh, Gibbons, as they were kind of crafting that decided, well, we need, we'll, we'll create characters that are based on the Charlton characters that gives us more freedom. So we don't have to be locked into that world, but every one of the Watchmen characters is based on something from that, those Charlton comics. And I think it, it played so well because you really hadn't seen, like there wasn't all this baggage um, story wise or, or, you know, character wise to have to deal with. You could just come in fresh. And I feel like with vision, it's kind of the same thing. There's not a lot of, at least for, for the generalists or the people like me who are more indie focused and not as Marvel savvy, there's you can jump in pretty cleanly you know you and and yeah. for me this this really shaped my idea of what the vision is now and moving forward i'm always going to come back to this book is like well that's that's how i see the vision is through this lens yeah totally i i personally didn't know what was happening in the world of the avengers i, I think i said that earlier but this kind of really solidified the vision as a character for me and gave him so much depth i mean more depth than i think a lot of uh, superhero, certainly characters that I've ever read had made him feel, you know, I could, I could identify with him. And uh, interestingly, you know, he's a synth synthoid, you know, he's Android, not human. Uh, but he felt more human, human than so many characters that I've ever read in a superhero mm-hmm. comic, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. it just could really identify with him. And, one thing that uh, just continues to be front of mind for me, and one of the ways I, I think I described it, I don't know if I described it to you in, in writing and correspondence or not, but this whole story really reminded me of Breaking Bad mm. and kind of just the way that things escalate and it's 
a hero or average person trying to live their normal life and just bad things start to happen and then how you cope and things escalate almost out of control. Well, and, yeah. and also the, <laughs> they themselves are doing the bad things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe yeah, in response totally. to something, but I, that ties into with what you said earlier about, it. it's not like a superhero story where there's some evil force from outside. I mean, there is, you know, there is an attack and, the, and things go awry, but yeah, it's, it's inside the family. <laughs> that Breaking Bad comparison is pretty damn apt. And that, oh, as yeah. soon as you wrote it and I, I thought about it, I'm like, I almost want to go back and reread it again with that sort of in my mind because that, man, it really fits. It, and, I, and it really speaks to why Breaking Bad was so successful because here's this run-of-the-mill, regular family, regular dude, you know, nondescript street in freaking Albuquerque. And who knew that, that all of that could be so interesting for six years? And it Ooh. kind of same kind of, and it was all because it, it took those conventions that we know so well and just kept subverting them and kept subverting them and kept taking you down that path. And I think it was relatable because we all could find ourselves in a similar kind of like, yeah, this could be my life at the beginning. And then what choices would I make? You know, would, would I, if I was the neighbors, would I make these choices? If I was Walter White or if I was the vision, would I make these same choices? Like that just kind of keeps sucking you back in to the point where I even, you know, even some of my qualms about the art, which in this case is great, but it's this, the art here wasn't always my cup of tea, but it didn't matter because all these other, these, these motifs and these stories and these questions were so much more interesting. So it kind of kept me going. I think along those lines, like we've described it as a thriller. I think that's, that's kind of how, I, I think that's just what the label like kind of got stuck on it. But um, what, what I felt reading it was that it was, it was a thriller in that sense of like uh, almost like a detective story, uh, because vision is very cold and analytical in that way where he's sort of trying to figure out what's, I, I don't know. He's not, a, he's not maybe actively trying to figure out, but he, you know, what I'm trying to say <laughs> is that we are the detective. Like we're the ones trying to put the Ooh. pieces together. And I yeah. think, I think the way that the, that uh, third person narrator is telling us what's ahead and then also filling us in on things behind that's, you know, the pieces are being put together in our heads. Like it's a mystery. Um, and it's definitely getting amped up along the way. So I, I, I just felt it was <laughs> that needed to be clarified. I don't know. Those were um, some thoughts I had. What did, what was your reaction to it in that sense of a thriller? Which one of us, I, either of you or Taylor, you want to jump in? I mean, were you being pulled along that way? Like you felt it uh, increasing in its tension and, uh, and. Oh, hundred percent. Well, especially because again, they, they flash forward you know, they give you hints of what's to come. So the entire time in, in your mind, you're like, okay, is this what causes this, which causes that, you know, you're trying to play you're, you're you nailed it too. That is a, you are the detective and that's what that guessing game, that sort of, you know, using that evidence. And then even too, like there's several scenes where people are being interrogated Either the vision interrogates his wife or the cop interrogates the vision or, you know, the neighbors interrogate, you know, whoever there's any number of times that happens. So you get to see how people shift their stories and how people, how, what would otherwise be a completely logical, um, you know, machine, how it distorts the truth, either unknowingly or, or intentionally, like just all of that. You, you really are. You, they, they put you the viewer or you, the reader in like the best possible seat to enjoy this 
unfold. You don't know too much, you know, just enough. You can, you know, you're sort of omnipresent watching this world, but yet at the same time, you can make, you can make judgments and then have those judgments, you know, reverse themselves later on. I, I really like, I really like where I was, where I was seated. And actually, some of my favorite stories do that. You know, they put me, the viewer, in the best, they give me the best, they don't, they don't, um, they don't uh, second guess me. They don't let you know. They they give me just enough information. They 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 treat me with some intelligence and and, and really like you know as a care. I, I as a character in the story feel just as empowered as you know any of the other. I feel like I have just as much agency as they do. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, there's definitely a sense of like you. I think you said it better than I did. Of uh, like we're trying to put the pieces in place that have been given to us. Yeah. Um, and so just a biographical detail we should mention is that uh, if you didn't know this, Vision is um, uh, sort of has come to existence as part of Ultron. And the way they approach that in the story is they call him or, or he sort of calls himself the son of Ultron. Um, and then, uh, although we'll go into this more in the spoiler section, uh, there's a character that's introduced a little bit later who I, I don't know if this person is, is in canon or not. Um, uh, Victor Mancha, who mm-hmm. is uh, a, another, quote, child of Ultron, um, someone that, mm-hmm. that Ultron has directed the, the building of this, you know, cybernetic synthesoid android thing. Um, so it has that element of uh, I just like that. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that happens a good two thirds of the way through or something or more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty and, far through. Yeah. And all of a sudden this person comes in and it, it felt like those, those dark thriller movies where, you know, another <laughs> family member kind of comes in that you haven't heard of before the family's already sort of in disarray. And then a vision, you know, brings this person into the house and it was like, Oh man, you're inviting trouble. I don't know what it is, but this can't be good. Um, so I thought, I, I don't know that all just uh, piled into that, that tension for me in that, that very cinematic thriller feel. Are you saying Walter yeah. was the cousin Eddie of this, uh, of this national <laughs> 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 as played by Randy Quaid. Here comes, here comes Walter Maja. <laughs> Oh, Not that kind amazing. Of- yeah. There was something about um, when Mancha came in that also was all too typical and human where when your relative comes over, no matter how in disarray your family actually is in life, when a relative comes to stay, you try and make it feel as absolutely normal as possible. Ooh, God, I yeah. love that. That is so on point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it was so weird. Like so much of the story was just escalating and escalating and escalating. And it was just almost going out of control. And then here comes uncle Walter and like, Oh, never mind. It's it. Everything's fine. We're all fine. Um, life in the suburbs is good. Uh, we're all going to school. School's great. Works good. Wife's, you know, she's having interviews and things are going good. And where yeah. underneath the surface, it's all gone wrong, massively yeah. gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, because that was definitely the part of the book where, yeah, we were we were just watching everything go wrong behind the scenes, and then this new guy comes in <laughs> and uh, befriends the children. You know, hey, here here he is. Here's your uncle. Um, and uh, Victor Mancha too. He looks human. 
He does not look yeah. like the visions. He does not have mm-hmm. that red pinkish skin. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And he has hair, you know, and, an, and a, a human skin tone. So uh, it's a, that's an interesting juxtaposition as well. Like that uh, to think this is a, another Android product. <laughs> so um, Taylor, you'd mentioned the art before not being your cup of tea. Uh, do you want to dig into that a little bit? I mean, what was it exactly? Um, nothing in particular. It's just, it kind of just felt very bog standard. Um, more superhero standard, you think? Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, basically like it's no different than what I would expect in any, any run of the mill Marvel story. And that doesn't mean it's bad. I mean, it's, it's great. It's well-framed. Everything's good. It just, I kind of felt, I think when I am, when I am contemplating, you know, sort of subversive or, or deconstructing books like this, I almost kind of feel like the art should have its own, you know, sort of its own individuality. Something about it should be, you know, like, for example, like Kingdom Come, which we reviewed a couple of weeks ago. Kingdom Come, again, one of those like, uh, you know, Elseworlds sort of really interesting deconstructions and the art is like completely not at all what you would normally find. I think in that case, I was sort of expecting, I kind of wanted it to be more like, maybe even more like what you see on the covers because the covers are gorgeous. And I kind of thought, well, maybe the, the panel should be as that too. I get why they're not, you know, just in terms of efficiency and putting this out on a timely manner. You know, they had, they had to kind of lock into something particular. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because the story is so compelling and these characters mm. are so well done that it just, I, it's, it's one of those few times where like, oh, and it wasn't like I hated the art because I think if I did, I, I wouldn't, it would have prevented me from getting into it. But it was easy enough to go. You know, I'm, you know, just look past it or, or, or adapt to it rather like not, not feeling like it has to follow what I want, but I could, I could, I could settle into the story that they've, you know, the, and the, the world they've created visually by just, um, yeah, by just there, accepting the story. There was something about the, the art as well for me, um, that one struck me as I couldn't quite tell if it had been done with physical material or if it was oh. done fully digitally. And the more I look at it in detail, I get the impression that it may have been completely digital art hmm. uh, where someone did digital painting, you know, using um, brushes that mimic watercolor and mimic pen and ink, but actually it was purely digital. Um, and I, I don't know if that's the case, but that's when you kind of like look at it, inspect it, that kind of seems to be um, what it strikes me as. Uh, but then I also read a little bit about what uh, Walta had to say about where his inspiration came from. Uh, and it's, it's in the director's cut, actually, in, in those extra 200 pages. He talks a little bit about it. Um, some of the original pitch had to do with uh, th- that kind of Norman Rockwell uh, idea of vision living in the suburbs and that Norman Rockwell sense of life. And Walta said that he took a little bit of inspiration from that as an idea but that he also didn't want the art to at all overpower the story. So, mm. uh, so much of what he was doing was trying to make sure that at no point was the art overpowering that. Um, there, and there, and, you just, you hit it, you hit it as to why I think that's my problem is that I think for stories like this, I feel like the art needs to stand on its own too. And I, I, I respect the decision to not have it overpower, but I think that might've been one of the things where I was like, well, hmm. And I think the other one, now that you say it out loud, I, I may have sort of a distaste for Norman Rockwell art. Like I may, I, there may be something about Norman Rockwell art that's sort of uns, unsettling to me at an unconscious level. And I think okay. that might've play, played out here too, where I'm just like, eh. and, and I, I think all of that combined, again, 
I didn't hate it. I think it's, I think it, it is what it is. I just, I think those things may really be what was, was jarring to me. Well, okay. I definitely, I, I had similar, um, reservations when I, you know, was, was flipping into the first few pages about the art. And so that I definitely want to bring that up, especially before we close out our non-spoilers talk. Um, but I, I'll defend, well, I mean, I, I think, I think we're all in the same boat. We, we ended up really liking it, but, uh, I would say one of the things that's really cool about the Norman Rockwell style is then when something violent happens, it is so much more shocking and mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. felt more graphic. Like I felt like there was a lot of blood and so guts right. in uh, this story. That's about non-humans, you know, synthesoids. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. There were, there were some violent things that happened and there are also a bunch of really subtle, um, well, not subtle there, you know, there were just, there were changes to the, where the style of art remained the same, but something in the coloring might've changed mm-hmm. um, meant to display. Like when we first meet Agatha, the witch, and it's all like grayscale except for the blood in her scene. So that, that should mm-hmm. be a good <laughs> teaser for anybody. Oh, wanting yeah, to read it. Totally. Um, and then when there are flashbacks, like vision talks often about, you know, the 37 times he saved the world and it goes through like this sort of rogues gallery of, of threats that he's defeated with the Avengers and the color would change then I believe. Um, and then there's mm-hmm. a great panel where uh, one of the characters is sort of uh convincing themselves i'm trying to say this in a non-spoiler way of the truth of the situation even though that's not what we just witnessed and the the color changes for that sequence mm-hmm. um, so Dude. i i really appreciated that and i think it's it stood out because if it if this had been more like over the top art or very art for the sake of art we wouldn't have gotten those you know, those subtle degrees. Yeah there was degree. there was one other piece of uh what i would talk about on color that uh, I definitely appreciated was over the course of the story, you went from very vivid colors in the very first panel of issue one to what was actually really muted palettes mm. by the time you got to the climax of the last issue. And mm-hmm. that was then also slightly um, really nicely juxtaposed with the last few panels where things had kind of started to look up and they tried to make, put a happy spin on it it went back to those brighter colors again. But um, the way that the palette mirrored the tone of the story, I personally really appreciated and thought it added a level of depth to uh, the telling of the story. They really use that on that note too. They really, they really use a lot of light and darkness. Like there's a lot of scenes and just in shadow, you know, the lights are off in their house and like they use that just as much mm-hmm. to, con- to, to do what you just described, like color and light. I just, that may, maybe that gave it sort of that extra, we often talk in the show about a lot of these series should be TV series. Um, and, and, and a lot of that is just their use of light um, in addition to color. Just that, that is a very cinema, cinematographic way of thinking, you know, in, in both movies and TV, the way, the way you shoot your scene, the composition of the scene, but also the color and the light of the scene is just as much a part of the show as the story too. So that's one of those things where I think in comics, it, it, you already have that advantage. And if you, if you play to it, it, it makes it all the more satisfying. Mm. I think that is a great place to wrap up non-spoiler talk. Um, so we're, we're just going to like have a, a little false ending here. And if you have not read the book, go read it and then come back and listen to the rest of this. Uh, Taylor, for those people who are leaving us now, where can they find all our episodes? <laughs> 
Well, we hope you come back after you've read it. But um, to do that or to find all our other episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Pocket Cast, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also uh, look for us online, search for Coffee and Comics, or search for findusthere.org and uh, all of our other shows. Wednesday and Westeros, the Hardy Boys Drink Cast, all those shows are on, uh, are on the Their Network. And so for people uh, running out to purchase it right now, what format would you guys recommend reading it? Oh, man. Have either of you picked up the, or just seen it in a shop, the collected printed edition? Yeah, I've seen beautiful. it in the shop. Yeah, it is gorgeous. Okay. Okay. So I would say, I mean, we, you know, we have all read it digitally. Uh, Drew read it single issue <laughs> print version as it, as it came out. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so maybe we don't have a conclusive uh, thing there. I'm going to, I'm going to, well, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, if you're curious, get it digitally. And honestly, I'm glad, yeah. even if I go and get the print copy, I think, and this, this is, this kind of echoes something Drew said earlier about the, about the art being sort of meant to look, you know, meant to look hand drawn, but it's, it was digital probably like, I think it adds to the aesthetic of the story. If you're reading it on a digital device. Interesting. And then I'm, I'm curious if that will change for me if I read it um, physically. I do like, you know, comicology, comicsology's um, panel view worked really, really well for this. Um, you know, it, it let you isolate each panel kind of one by one and it didn't spoil anything. You know, there wasn't that risk of, of, of seeing a two page fold and seeing something shocking happening on, right. on the right side so that you almost want to, I, I honestly think like, like doing it digitally first and then maybe physical after the fact might, might be the best way to go. But Drew, I'm curious, since you started physically, I'm curious to see how you would take that. Oh man, I, I am such uh, a collector that I always want to have the physical things. I've recently, because I hadn't been using Comixology in a while, and I um, opened it up just to download the director's cut of this. Mm. Um, and when I opened it up, I realized, oh wow, there are a bunch of physical things that I've recently, or the things that I've, stories I've recently bought physically and reread. And I thought, oh, this seems really familiar. And then I realized I had actually bought it and read it on Comixology <laughs> probably years ago. And uh, like, oh, well, there it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm a huge physical guy. I, I'm a huge fan of having the thing. And like, I'm that guy that every single issue is bagged and boarded. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge advocate of physical um, personally, but I, it was an interesting experience for me re- reading through this again in a digital format. Uh, wow. it, it was handy, super convenient. I'll, I'll yeah. tag on to uh, Taylor's comment about the guided view in comiXology. So I thought um, I, I actually, one of my thoughts was I agree. I totally agree. Like I think the guided view was very cool. So you're only seeing a panel at a time. So your eye is not spoiling what's ahead, but I actually wonder if that, impacted the way we the art impressed us mm. because sometimes what was a really tiny pa- panel we're seeing sort of blown up a little bit on a tablet and maybe what was meant to be like you know have very few details and just be sort of sketchy looking on a page they could have gotten away with but once that's our whole focus is on it maybe we felt like oh this mm. art you know mm-hmm. um I, I just noticed a few things like that but but like i said i mean and like we all said we were we were so hooked into the story that uh, it, it was just great to swipe through um, 
digitally. So now let's talk spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that we have like big, huge spoilers. I just know there were there were moments in this we wanted to discuss, and we didn't want to ruin anything for people who hadn't read it. Oh, okay. So uh, if we're going to get straight into spoilers, uh, and because we're talking about or coming off the back of the art conversation, one thing that I definitely want to jump into um, in issue four, when uh, Virginia gets a phone call from the dad that has uh, video evidence of her past transgressions, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember the scene where she's like in the, in the kitchen uh, vision and the kids are outside tossing around a football and she's inside and that phone rings, the phone that she had received in the post mm-hmm. and she answers the phone and she, she grabs her necklace um, if you remember in that opening first or not the first panel, but the, when the vision opens the door and there's the family and they're all standing side by side and the, the, you know, the vision's in the center and she's on one side and the kids are on the other side. They all have kind of like this three diamond shape on their shirts, mm-hmm. uh, or, or at least the kids do. And then she has this necklace that has the three diamonds on it. Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of like tying them together as a family visually. Hmm. Um, when she grabs the necklace while she picks up the phone, it's almost like she's hiding herself from oh, the, um, from the family and the, the transgressions and the guilt that she's feeling when she gets that phone call. Like she doesn't want the family to witness it. So she puts her hand over the thing that physically symbolizes the family. Wow. That was money. <laughs> well i'm looking at that sh- i'm looking at that scene i know, right now, and I, and I want to go back and reread this entire damn thing because like what did i miss um yeah. you know, i read this on a plane well in the airport and oh. then on a plane to finish it and so it's like what else did i miss like that's such a oh. god that's an astute observation jesus oh I, yeah. I i'll be honest with you i would not have picked it up if i had not read that extra bit in the in the director's cut like oh, i was just so enwrapped in the story the first time i read it that, you know, I didn't, I got the sense of she feels very vulnerable. Like I got that feeling, but I didn't get the symbolism behind I'm going to hide that thing that connects me to the family. Yeah. I completely missed that. And there are other things as well that um, Walter references around like some of the framing. Like later on, the vision comes and talks to Virginia in the dining room. And the way that that particular panel is framed has a whole lot of black on the left and the right because it's kind of like it's framed by looking through the doorway into the dining room. Mm-hmm. And it was intentional to try and make it feel claustrophobic, like the world was coming in uh, and go, you know, like pressing in from both sides and like closing in on her. The, the reality of the situation that she was in was closing in. Mm-hmm. Little things like that, I didn't even pick up on the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. But um, I really think that Walter, while he definitely um, has a style which feels slightly, I, I really enjoyed it. I like the level of simplicity that's there. I could see why um, it might not be everyone's cup of tea. I think he did a lot with the imagery and the symbolism and the emotion that he actually was able to convey uh, with what is otherwise kind of uh, simple mm-hmm. uh, expression of characters. I uh, just, for those listening, I full disclosure, I read 
the story, but I only briefly got into the director's cut stuff. And there's only, there's over 200 pages of extras <laughs> and interviews, like I said. And so now I almost, I'm kicking myself too, because on last week's episode about East to West, I made the point that I think my, my love of that story was in, was amplified by having first read the world, which mm. was one shot that really kind of broke everything down. I almost should have started I should have started with the extras first, although no. I think it probably would have been a little spoilery, no. but I feel like I kind of I missed my own advice by not delving into that because I, I think it would have been a richer experience. Now, now, Drew, that you're saying it, I'm definitely going to go back and reassess and re- kind of re-ingest all this. Yeah, it's probably uh, great to read it, um, uh, absorb it, and then go through those extras and then read it again yeah. because that's going to you know impact the way you see it the second time. But yeah, I'm sure you'd run into spoilers if you if you read them before the whole thing. Oh, definitely. Um, so the the Avengers show up in the story, mm-hmm. um, and I I I don't know why, but I uh, I guess I thought that was like a pretty cool thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Where normally I I might have thought, oh, you've taken this very somber like solo story and now made it like a group superhero thing. I guess what I think was they were just really successful at explaining the relationship of the Avengers to vision. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a thing that's not always uh, well explained in, in superhero stories like this. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. It actually wasn't until the Avengers showed up and I saw uh, Jane Foster's version of Thor that I realized, yeah. Oh, this is actually part of the main continuity of the Marvel universe. That that really surprised me. I I genuinely thought this was just going to be a standalone story as I was reading through it until the Avengers showed up, and I saw that. Yeah, and, and you have um, you have uh, what's his face is Captain America, um, Sam, Sam Wilson. Yeah, Sam's in there. I uh, yeah, that was and at the same time too. I didn't feel like I had to then go out and read all these you know tangential stories like this. It it works as a self contained, um, self contained piece but it i do li- i like that it is connected but you don't have to you know like i think a lot of dc books you know event books you ha- yeah, it's like you have to like even like the the green lantern's darkest night arc which is one of my favorite green lantern arcs you really have to go and read like all like five wow. or six companion stories just to get the full experience and you definitely don't have to do that here i don't think yeah i agree i don't think it falls into continuity that way they just wanted to get set it in a time you well, know you say that but what I saw after they finished this series, um, Viv, she is now, uh, she's part of a young group of other like young characters in the Marvel universe. So she's oh, wow. now like a hero in uh, the main universe. That's interesting. Yeah. Cool. So they, they definitely have said, all right, well, this is, this is a thing and it had impact which has all kinds of interesting implications on when you, if you were to, and I'm not necessarily, I'm definitely not someone that's like reading all the Avengers uh, stories, but if you were someone that's reading those you're and you're aware of this, like, Oh, there's this whole other level of depth to the vision. And also to this new character, Viv, like mm-hmm. that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That is really cool. So, yeah. Uh, I, I I I was going to move on from that, but if you got something yeah, else, no, 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 so I the one thing I was disappointed in, like spoiler way, was uh, the treatment of George and Nora's death. I because that was the first thing that was foreshadowed that we were told they were going to die in a fire. Yep, yeah. And we These just the neighbors, get, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And we just get one panel one of the panel. house catching on fire, and I really thought like 
I, I mean, this is going to have impact, especially with the police investigation and everything else going on. I mean, I had to, I actually, you know, stopped reading, went back to the prediction early in the, you know, or the foreshadowing early in the book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I thought what it said, you know, I was reading it. It says one of the visions will burn their yeah. house. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it turns out that it's, it's Victor, but I guess he kind of counts, you know, vision cousin or something. Um, or vision uncle, but you know, I, I felt like, ah, we, well, you know, I, I'm not sure. Like looking through, I, uh, I'm looking back at those uh, pages now. I think it was actually Vin. Yeah. It's, oh, Vin. it's, it's oh, is Vin. that Vin's blast? Yeah. yeah. It's Vin's, but when he's trying to defend himself, he actually oh. blasts the house and sets it on fire. Okay. So let's talk about this a little bit. What is going on with Victor's power there? I think so. You know how it talks about the vibranium, yeah, and how he was using vibranium. I think it was almost like a narcotic, okay, the way that it affected him. I think it was a drug, and I think he was under the influence because the piano had vibranium in it, and I think he may have like taken mm. some of the piano and was essentially using. And when Vin came in he lost control because he was stoned essentially. Well, he was okay. also, but Vin also caught him talking to the Avengers too. Like he was yeah, actually yeah, having yeah, yeah. His, his secret meeting. And then, but then I think, and this well, is just based on what I'm reading in here, the way they portray, and they say he's got like magnetism. He's got like Magneto kind of powers and they portray it in much the same way that Magneto, when he, when he does something in a Marvel comic, like there's kind of like the electric shocks, you know, surrounding something. So it kind of, it looked like that. So I was assuming it was, it was probably that, as well, just because it, you know, he was trying to hold him in like a field, maybe. Right. Yeah. Definitely influencing Vin's ability to control himself and his powers for sure, like affecting his ability to to behave normally. Yeah. But- so, uh, and uh, along those spoilery lines, um, let's go over what actually happens at the end because I had one of those uh, feelings where I. Um, I just didn't know who to trust by the time we got to the end. Like did Virginia actually alter visions code or, you know, is that the true story or has vision told that to Wanda to cover his own actions? <laughs> I don't think he did it. I, I think that okay. was the lie. She told the police and okay. she was telling vision that she had done that, or maybe she transferred the data so that he knew that's what she had done. But that was not the true events. The true events were what we saw. Right. She's saying to the police, I altered the vision. He was, you know, he didn't do these things. He did not lie knowingly, but he did. He did knowingly lie. He did not leave the house intending to kill under his own volition and free will. But actually he did. He was being a father and he was furious and yeah, he yeah. did in kill, intend to kill his brother. Um, but she wanted to protect her family and protect Vision, her husband. So she told this lie. When I was reading that, like even the second time reading her confession to the to police, I even thought that for a moment. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. There, there is a little bit at the very end of that where the Vision says something about that he needs to tell the truth. And she says, no, this, you will accept that this is what I've done. And you will continue to be the vision and you will save the world, blah, blah, blah. Something of that sort. Yeah. 
and it's and it's told that scene is told like when she's telling when she's confessing to the police it's told in that same art style that we have mm-hmm. already seen her lie about the death of the reaper mm-hmm. you know it's it's in this orange and red and yellow um colored panels so i i agree with you i think i think um yeah what we saw in the normal colors of the book is the truth and then she's telling <laughs> her version in those in the different art style um yeah yeah i i i guess uh, uh but but she ultimately like because we see it in in the regular style she is the one who kills victor mm-hmm. uh, you know there's no no doubt about that she d- she mm-hmm. does appear mm-hmm. and then kill him yeah yeah i guess Absolutely. that's the that's the thing where <clears throat> because she confesses right after that where i thought well, wait, have <laughs> is she, did she really not do this? Did vision kill Victor? And then, but um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, especially flipping back through it and seeing how stark that color changes between the, the full pages. Um, I just wrote this in the notes, so I apologize for the short notice, but it, it, as you were talking, it made me think of it. one question that I kind of wrestled with, especially on the second half of the book was, did we need the whole sort of, uh, plot device of the of the um the blood for, I, it's, it's like the blood from that plant that makes yeah. you see the future i i can't describe it any more accurately than that um like with agatha and all that because it seems like that that kind of took me out of it when we went to the black and white shots of agatha kind of you you weren't quite sure if she was in a different time or if this was a flashback or flash forward right. and so just getting that and i understand that we needed somebody to know the future to know how this was going to end up so that then you know uh, virginia could make her choice the vision could make his choice i get that but what did it need to be and i get and i get that it, it brought in the scarlet witch in a more sort of meaningful way it sort of you know spoke to her powers a little bit more so she wasn't just a you know just a, a piece of scenery but at the same mm-hmm. time i don't know just did we need it could we have what if we didn't know the future would this have had as much impact if we didn't know where this was all going to end up i don't think it would have Personally, I mean, maybe we didn't need the the black and white like half issue, if not more, of Agatha um, dealing with this plant and a cat. You maybe didn't need that, but I I do think that you needed from the first page. You definitely needed that sense of this is going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be a happy story that you expect from Marvel, and certainly not of you know vision and one of the avengers it's going to be something different and the only way you get that is by saying one of the visions is going to burn their house down and they are going to die yeah without that this feels kind of meh until you get to that last panel of issue one Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really that for me that kind of set the whole tone this is this from the start. This is going to be something different. This is going to be uh, not your average uh, hero story. So you did need that for me. For me, what about the idea of it being the Reaper who uh, stabs um, uh, is a Viv through like yeah. right through the you know, right through the middle like that? I mean, that was a horrific. I mean, maybe you needed him to be the Reaper so that image was so grisly looking. But what if that was? I keep thinking back like. 
what if that was just a like a normie? Because they they kind of play up the fact that like some of the people in this neighborhood don't want them there. You know, there's sort of this subtle racism uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. kind of playing you permeating everything. At one point, the you know two of the neighbor boys go and try to they're trying to think of the right sort of slur to to spray paint on their garage door. <laughs> which is like what if what if instead of the Reaper as like a villain, like a, as you know as kind of a campy Marvel villain, what if it was just some regular person? Would that have been too much? Did it need to be somebody from like the superhero side of Vision's life intruding on his family side? Was that symbolism necessary? Yeah, I think so because it made the impact of the the death of the regular person, like Viv's friend, um, CK, mm-hmm. like it made that stand out a lot more. It was no, sort of like we can excuse her killing a you know villain who was coming after them to kill him. Yeah, um, but when she causes the death of that child, it was like, that was too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I agree. I think it, it was a really traumatic thing perpetrated by your typical nondescript. I had no idea of true motivations and character development and anything except stereotypical evil villain person doing something bad. Yeah. And you can forgive the wife of a superhero, you know, reacting in kind to a certain extent more than if it had just been some random person from around the block that had come in and done that Well, that, a little okay. bit more and allowed that level of escalation yeah. uh, over a period of time. Did, we, did she need to cover it up then? Because that was the other question. She totally I had was, didn't. No, of course no. she didn't. No, she she could, totally could have um, just let the vision know this person came in, attacked our daughter. I retaliated to protect our son and myself, and uh, it was terrible. They died, but it was in self defense. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the point. Is and I think they even there's some commentary in that narrator's bubble box about how when she was first brought online, there was something about her eyes constantly dilating like a camera. Oh, that's right. Symbolized that there wasn't something, something wasn't quite right with her Mm -hmm. programming. And it was that something not quite right that caused her to think that no one would accept. And honestly, even if it wasn't a flaw in the programming, if this had been a person of color in a white suburb, that had killed someone intruding in their house, a white person intruding in their house, what kind of fair trial might they get? Like there's a possibility it wouldn't have been that fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of sense of racism is, I think a big part of it. Like yeah. I am different than everyone around me. Would I get that same fair trial as anyone else? Like even someone who's not flawed fundamentally at a program operating system or thought process way like that's still a rational thought. So someone who's clearly, at least as the story lays out further on, she's got a programming glitch. Yeah. I I think it it makes made sense for me. And like that uh, needing to cover it up made sense and was believable. It's terrible. And uh, you know, it's kind of like, Oh, you didn't need to do that. Mm Mm-hmm but she was broken and it helped to move the story along and was believable for me. Well, and, and honestly, going back to your other comparison, a lot of that happens in breaking bad too. So much of breaking bad is dude, just tell the truth. Like this will yeah. all be over. And it just, he keeps not doing it. And it's, it's kind of the same 
kind of the same here, even though they, you know, even though it's attributed to a flaw in programming, how, how easily is that flaw available to humans, you know, just in general, like that's, that is a very, it's funny in, in, in all of their, you know, they're always coming back to that question of, are we normal? You know, is this family normal? Are we, are we behaving in the world in a normal way? And at the end of the day, like a lot of their choices, even though they're, they result in just catastrophe or just shocking things are choices that regular normal people would make anyway. So it's almost like the point of the story is like, yeah, the, you, you are normal. You guys all, you made, you, you put this scenario in play and you guys made all the same choices that a human would make anyway. It's not like you guys did. You might've had some fantastical abilities to accompany it, but it's a lot of this is, is no different than what you would see a regular household anywhere push mm-hmm. to these, push to these limits. Mm-hmm. Totally. So was there a, you know, was there a shocking moment for each of you that like uh, <laughs> stood out? I mean, for me, it was when the, the dog comes over the neighbor dog um, of the neighbors that you see introduced in the first, in the first chapter dog comes over and, and ends up getting fried because he, the dog finds the, uh, the buried body of the, yeah. Of the, uh, the, the grim reaper, whatever it is in the backyard gets shocked and dies. And then it, it, it wasn't that that had happened, but it was the follow-up scene that made me go, Oh God, where you see the vision freaking operating on him in his lab and removing the brain so that he could extract the brain waves to create a new family dog. Like nothing's wrong. And you're just like, Oh, oh. my God, like that, just, that was, that's where I went. Oh God, anything could happen now. Like, there, it, Oh it, yeah. Is, I mean, ugh. It's a good point. Like, look, looking around that part of that issue, um, like right out, like there's the the scene. I think it's like page four in that issue. Um, looking in comicsology, like page one fifteen, like you can see the dog biting into the side and being electrocuted. It's like two pages later when you see it's like two panel spread, and the dog's just kind of like standing there, burnt to a crisp. Mm-hmm. That <laughs> that is kind of. Uh, off-putting, mm-hmm. uh, even more so than like seeing the scythe come through Viv in issue one, which was really shocking for me. Like I was not expecting that. Um, yeah. But seeing that dog just kind of like standing there with its mouth agape, just completely burnt to a crisp. <laughs> that is, that's really shocking to me. Like I, I don't know. It still bothers me. It, yeah, I love that we. <laughs> I love that Taylor. You pinpointed that scene because I was going to say the ending where we think everything's normal. And then the vision just quietly (laughs) walks upstairs and opens up this coffin and Sparky's like, you know, barks at him and he says, shh. (laughs) Yeah. And he's rebuilding Virginia uh, somehow or something. So vision is a fucking psychopath. (laughs) Well, just that, like, I, I really want to freaking see this. Like they, they could do this for, 30 million bucks as like a really cool <laughs> movie, you know, awesome. and, and maybe, I mean, if you want to get Robert Downey Jr. in for you know more than two minutes, you might have to pay a little more, but like, I just, I, I want to see Paul, could Paul Bettany could sell this entire thing. Like he's already cast. He mm-hmm. could totally pull this up. Just that sort of, you, you get a glimpse of it, even though I know they, this was, you know, they'd written, um, uh, a civil war, the, the movie civil war before I think, I think this was already in play when civil war came out, but like you see it in civil war a little bit where, he kind of have the way Paul Bettany plays the character is kind of already in line with this, where there's kind of this weird kind of spooky indifference to, you know, the human condition, but also his desperation to want to fit in. I can't wait to see if they expand on that in any way on the, in infinity war, the movie itself. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, the, the whole diatri- or the back and forth of Vision and the Avengers when he's going to kill his brother. Like, I would appreciate your compliance, but I do not require it. Yeah. <laughs> Him just saying that again and again is just so stone cold. Yeah. And then, say, well, then scenes too, like when he's, uh, when they're, you know, the cops are interrogating him or his wife and they're like, can anybody else confirm this? They're like, I can confirm this. And yeah. You're like, yeah. <laughs> like, my word is all you need. And you're like, Jesus. Like, just that. I, I, a part of me at one time wondered if the, if where this was headed was, you know, them continuing to appropriate like more like if more people just die and they just kind of keep turning everybody into like a synthesoid or if, you know somehow if somehow that if that's kind of the end game here i was like that would be really ambitious so i'm glad they didn't try that but there was a point in this book where i'm like man what where's this going like i just it wasn't abundantly clear to me and you knew you knew at some point it was the vision was going to cause something horrible to happen so you, mm-hmm. you, my mind was keep pro- just kept processing like, well, man, after that dog scene, especially like when he's operating on the dog, you're like, where, where is this going? Like what, how badly is this going to end for us as just, you know, regular people? You know, if this was our world, like what, where is this headed? And the fact that, you know, I, I would love to see if there was any kind of follow-up issue or anything like does, you know, do the Avengers ever sit down with the vision again and go, Hey man, that was really effed up what you did. Like we can't, <laughs> you know, like there was never sort of that, that coda of like, you know, Tony Stark having coffee with him. Like, man, we, we need to make sure this doesn't occur again. Like there, th- that was almost unsettling too. Just kind of knowing yeah. that this could repeat itself all over again, Todd, that's sort of your, this, that last scene you were talking about. Yeah, that open-endedness of it, you know? I would love to see Tony getting coffee with the vision. Like, hey, remember when you put your hand through all of our bodies? That was, like, <laughs> super uncool. Yeah, like, why isn't he Not labeled, cool. like, like, why isn't he in some kind of containment, you know, shield containment center now after all the, after the events of all this? I mean, maybe they don't have to show us that, but it just, it, it would seem that, like, after this went down and the vision is revealed to kind of be as powerful as he is, you're like, man, this, we need to, we need to do something about it. And maybe the Illuminati comes back into play to, to, to deal with it. I, I don't know, man. There's just, it sets up so many interesting questions that, mm. I, you know, it's because you know, Tony Stark is a war profiteer who just makes super weapons. Oh. And as long as he can keep this super oh. weapon slightly on his side, he will take the risk. Oh, <laughs> oh, it's dark. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I, I guess uh, one other moment in the story i won't say that it was necessarily shocking but that i uh definitely took note of was kind of like the complete opposite end of how terrible and dark most of it could have been Mm -hmm. early on in the story um and i'm again i'm looking at comiXology it's like page 64 and 65 when you know the visions are going to sleep at night and the vision (laughs) is kind of putting on his pajamas and uh virginia is coming out of the bathroom in like a nighty and clearly oh, she's seducing him and yeah. i didn't even i don't know if i picked up on it the first time i read it but you know page 65 she kind of phases through her underpants and they just oh, kind of fall yeah. to the floor <laughs> oh, that's like, great. she doesn't take them off she just phases through them and lets them fall down and then like does the same thing to the top, like just lets it fall to the floor by falling through her. Like Hmm. only, only the vision and his wife would be able to do that. But it was just, Oh, look at that. Superheroes having sex. That's, that's what it's like. Well, superheroes having sex who don't even need to, that's, it's all, it's it's unsettling that way too. It's almost, they're like, we're, we're doing this because this will make us feel more normal. normal. 
yeah. but we're doing it in our own way. But it's just like, because they're constantly talking about how they, they can't ever ease. You know, they're yeah, like, we're, we're just going to go to dinner and then pay them to not make the food, but just to let us sit here yep. <laughs> and yep. pretend like we're having dinner. And so it's just like, you kind of assume like, well, you know, clearly well, they can't reproduce. So what's the point of this other than just to, I guess, really get their normal, their normie on. But was mm-hmm. that, is that creepier or is it creepier <laughs> when we just see Vision and Scarlet Witch in bed? <laughs> Ooh. Uh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea he had married the Scarlet Lich, Witch at any point. <laughs> like, that was a thing. I, I actually downloaded um, one of the old, uh, I think it was a West Coast Avengers number 45, mm. uh, which is the one where he actually is the white uh, Vision. Mm. And mm-hmm. comes back and doesn't recognize Wanda and she's upset. Like I downloaded that and read it to just try and get a sense of what their relationship was like. And that really was a thing. Like it's so weird. all credit to Tom King and the, the Marvel team for having gone back and managed to tie this in to so many um, actual previous storylines. And like all those battles that you see and like the 37 different times, like that's all legit oh, in canon, canon story. Um, so that, that was really interesting and like knowing that, and it's kind of telling and, uh, adds another l- level of depth to Virginia that she actually was modeled on the brainwaves of Wanda. So when yeah. you think about how broken her operating system and glitchy, her operating system is like, look at Wanda. Like yeah. she was not always a really good person. So the yeah. fact that Division's current wife, who is modeled off our brainwaves, wouldn't be completely right. I'm, really, I'm so is that gl- that shocking? I'm so glad you referenced that. That's that's a hugely important component to the story, and they do a they do a wonderful little uh, you know f- uh, flashback sequence that might have even been an entire issue, if I'm not mistaken, where they just kind of give you the backstory of Vision and Wanda's relationship, kind of in context. You know, they had they had two synthetic kids that ended up failing. And so just, you get all, you get to see what it's like the first time around when he was truly in love and happy. And now mm-hmm. he's trying to, he's trying to do that cliche thing that I've been guilty of. You know, when you're, when you have a really great relationship and it ends and you're not the reason that it ends, you try desperately in, in the next one or the one after that to have, to try to, to claw back to some stat, you know, state of that. And so here he is, you know, basically creating his own, his own family you know, whole cloth, but she, you know, his wife is based on his old, his ex-wife, and mm-hmm. it's, it's the seeds of that, you know, the seeds of it going wrong the first time are still there in the, in the second one. They just kind of, maybe they, they rear their head in a different way, but there's, it's still going to go wrong. It's like, you can't, you can't make this utopia based off of, you know, just because it went wrong the first time doesn't mean it's going to go right the second time, try as you may. So just mm-hmm. like that, just seeing all that play out was really sad. I mean, the whole story could have just been that yet they layer on all this other wonderful subtext that, that just makes it all the richer. It, you can truly go back and reread this four or five times and glean something new each time and feel just as satisfied. I, I love, uh, as you guys are talking about that, and I'm just staring at the cover of the collected edition, which is a family tree uh, designed to look sort of like a circuit board. Mm-hmm. And to see all those relationships, you know, here's giant man, ant man, uh, giving birth to Ultron who gives birth to victorious and vision and visions connected to Scarlet witch. And there's their two children and yeah, it's pretty cool. Or wait, is that, yeah. Who is that at the top? That's Ant-Man, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Hank Pym, <clears throat> I think is, yeah. 
Um, yeah, I let's uh, wrap this up. And and Drew, I'd like to hear because you've done some more Tom King uh, reading, haven't you? Are there? I other- have. Yeah. Um, this was my first introduction to him. I had no idea who he was before this, uh, but uh, as you can tell, I was a huge fan, and I definitely was keen when I heard that he was doing another story uh, that started last year, uh, picking up yet another way out in the weeds hero this time for DC, which I think he normally writes for DC um, is a Mr. Miracle. Again, it's going to be a limited run. I think it's again, another 12 issue run, but he's picked up this random hero from the DC universe. uh, Mr. Miracle, who uh, I think his human or not human name, but his alter ego name is uh, Scott free. Um, the hero, of course, is the Mr. Miracle. He escapes death in, in issue one, and he's an escape artist, and he had escaped death in issue one. Uh, he's the son of Apocalypse, and uh, you know he's got this kind of rich backstory that I had never, ever, ever heard of before, never heard of Mr. Miracle at all. But again, he does what I loved so much about the vision. He takes this hero, this superhero, and kind of turns the typical story on its edge and does something unexpected with it. And it's so very little matters that he's a superhero. It's much more about the drama of his life and his childhood and how all that plays out. And, you know, the, how psychologically scarred he is being the child of apocalypse um, and one of the new gods. It's, it's really interesting. And in addition to that, um, I recently picked up some, just completely random issues of the new rebirth Batman. So the one that kind of started with issue one a few years ago is now into the forties. I picked up some of those and just so unexpected for a superhero comic. Like I had not been reading any of the, like I completely lost interest in anything DC when they did the new 52 and tried to reset all their storylines and issue numbers but picked this up because of Tom King and was just completely amazed. I picked it up in the middle of like, right now I think what's happening is Batman is engaged to Catwoman. And the issue that I happened to pick up was Superman talking to Lois Lane on the phone while he's um, saving the world from random um, creatures. And he's saying, yeah, I'm going to call him. And she's saying, well, he's your best friend. You need to call him. Yeah, I'm going to, I just haven't gotten around to it. And then Batman is fighting crime alongside Catwoman at the same time. And she's saying, he's your best friend. You need to tell him. And Batman's saying, I'll get around to it. And by the (laughs) end of the, like, that's most of the issue is like the back and forth of they're both doing superhero stuff, but that doesn't matter. It's like the banter between them and their significant other about how they need to tell each other. They know that Batman's engaged. And like the next (laughs) issue is they go on a double date to some amusement park where they have to dress up like superheroes. So Batman dresses up like Superman and Superman dresses up like Batman. And Lois Lane dresses up like Catwoman. And I can't remember who Catwoman dresses up with, but it was just like complete banter that could be any couple in normal life. It doesn't matter that they're superheroes. It's actually made more amusing by the fact that they're superheroes. Hmm. And, but it totally doesn't matter. It's just very human stories that Tom King is telling. And I find that so refreshing having read so many just 
okay, I've seen this superhero story. It's the good guy fighting the bad guy. Bad guy has poor motivation, but you have to buy it because he's the bad guy. And, oh, yeah, the super guy, the superhero won at the end. Like, that's not these stories. They're so much more rich and interesting than that. And um, I, I've kind of gone back recently and started to reread from issue one of Tom King's Batman run. He clearly has learned a lot over the success of the vision because like the stories that were told early on in that run, they're more traditional superhero versus where they are now. Um, mm. But yeah, I'm really enjoying Tom King's stuff. And I'm going to, I might even look back at some of his other things. Like he's well known for the sheriff of Babylon, which is um, oh, wow. released with vertigo. And I might have to check that out uh, just because I'm absolutely so enamored with his writing at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I think you're giving us both stuff to check out because I I definitely want to read this uh, Batman run now. Oh, it's really interesting. It's totally unexpected. <laughs> um, so uh, that kind of brings us to the end. Taylor, you have already said this, but where can people find our show? Everywhere, com- everywhere comics are so everywhere podcasts are available. Just search for Coffee and Comics. Um, we officially updated the title, so it should be easier to find on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Google Play, and more. And again, find us there.org for all our other shows. And I, oh, just it, let's all promote ourselves too. I am by Taylor Trask on Twitter and Instagram. And I am at Hey Todd A on those places. Drew, do you want to plug anything? I am at Drew Hud on Twitter. With with three D's in it, two at the end. <laughs> yes. <That's it. laughs> cool. I'll also tell you this I discovered this week. If you uh, have a Google Home and say, hey, Google, play the latest episode of Coffee and Comics with Todd and Taylor, you will get us. Um, That's awesome. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Uh, hopefully that works on your Alexa too. Alexa, play Coffee and Comics with Todd and Taylor. That's the joke I'll be making from now on. Try and get people's Alexas and Googles to start talking. Anyway, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us, Drew. Uh, Pleasure. We'll talk to you later.